Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Megan Comey Vora from fashion brand Delicate Rain in Los Angeles. The sisters grew up with a cruelty-free ethic. Their father was raised Jane and their mother Hindi, and they've never eaten meat. Wow, fantastic. Lucky women. (laughs) As they searched for an animal-friendly wardrobe, they identified a gap in the market for high-quality, vegan, ethically manufactured, sustainable clothing in the contemporary space and launched Delicate Rain in December 2013. As the first generation of their family to be born in the US, they're keen to incorporate their East Indian roots into the brand. The company's name is what both their names mean in Hindi, and the brand represents an effortlessness, nonchalant coolness with components of luxury. The sisters aim to provide clothing with a purpose and for the garments to hold meaning. They want their customers, who are predominantly women aged 18 to 35, to feel good internally as well as externally. All their clothing is made locally in LA and they sell their garments in carefully chosen retailers and from their own online store and pop-ups. In just three years, and despite having no background in fashion before launching Delicate Rain, Megan Comey's pieces have been worn by high-profile celebrities, including Kendall Jenner. In this interview, Megan Comey talk about the best way to convince customers and buyers that cruelty-free fashion is as good as or better than garments that use animal materials, the number one way for your customer to recognise you as a brand, the importance of aesthetics and quality in ethical fashion, how to convey vegan ethics in your marketing and branding without coming off as preachy, how to get a celebrity to wear your clothes and the key person on their staff you need to build a relationship with to make that happen, and much more. Here's the interview with Meg and Comey Vora from Delicate Rain. Hello, Meg and Comey. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having us. We're Hello. excited. Yes, thank you for having us. I'm really excited to have you on the show because I think I love what you're doing with, with Delicate Rain. You've got these absolutely wonderful fashion items, clothing that's really cool, vibrant, colorful, and also ethical and cruelty-free. So I absolutely love what you're doing. So the very first question I ask everyone is, what's the why? What are your drivers and your reasons for running Delicate Rain? So... Since we were born and raised vegetarian, um, a fun little fact is that Comey and I actually still have never even tasted meat before. Um, Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Very lucky. (laughs) Yeah, our parents, um, that actually goes back a few generations. Our parents haven't tasted it. Our grandparents haven't tasted it. So it's something that's just like been a part of our family for um, a long time. And so, you know, this whole idea of not eating animals was something that was just a habit, obviously, very early on. 
Um, and as we started to try and incorporate, you know, those types of principles into our everyday existing, especially our wardrobe, because, you know, we're really into fashion and whatnot, we realized how challenging it was to find quality vegan pieces to wear. It was just so much easier to find vegetarian or vegan food. Um, and building a completely animal-friendly wardrobe was something that was really important to us, and it's still like a continuous goal. So um, creating this brand was something that just kind of came organically and made a lot of sense to us. And the more we thought about it, the more we saw that there was an actual void, especially in the contemporary marketplace, for well-made pieces that were constructed entirely out of um, animal-friendly textiles. Like we just weren't really finding anything in that sector that embodied all the elements that we could chuck off, which would be like humaneness, you know, an effortlessness and just like a nonchalant coolness that, you know, exhibited components of luxury at the same time. And we also um, wanted to be able to offer clothing that has a purpose. So we didn't want to just be like another label on the market. We wanted our garments to actually hold meaning. We wanted, you know, our pieces for women to feel good internally as much as it would make them feel good externally. So that was like really important to us. I love that. So I love the way you've <clears throat> you've taken that holistic approach, um, which I think is fantastic. Like you mentioned, the inside and and the outside, and which you don't often see or hear about being associated with fashion. So uh, I love that you're you're breaking that kind of ground there, which is great. So who are your main clientele then? I mean, what kind of people are are, are attracted to and are buying your brand? Are they mostly vegans? Are they non-vegans? Who are you pitching at and aiming at? So it's primarily females between the ages of 18 to 35. Yeah, and I'd say it's like pretty 50-50. Um, we do have a good portion of vegan and animal supporters who, you know, definitely identify with the philosophy of our business. Um, you know, they, they really resonate with like our brand mission and purpose. So they're the ones that like help spread the awareness and carry on the conversation. But then we also have people that are attracted to us because of like the actual style of our clothing. So to them, it's just like an added bonus once they learn what our company is all about, you know, with like all the principles and stuff that go behind it. Um, and for us, it was to be able to tr attract both type of demographics is what we had always like strived for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's great that you're you're getting out there. And it's great that obviously you're getting support from the vegan market, but it's also really important I think, to get out there to, to the mainstream and, and get more and more people buying clothes that they would otherwise buy that are really fantastic, but also have these, like you say, the extra bonus of being highly ethical um, products, which is great. So tell us a little bit about the name and why you chose it. Um, so we were going back and forth for a while with the name. Um, you know, we, we were thinking like, okay, should we call it Megan Comey? Should we do something with our last name because we don't have any brothers? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe like have something there that would like keep it going. But we came to Delicate Rain and it's where we ended up because it's what both of our names actually mean put together in Hindi. Um, we, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had something that was going to be personal, but also had a bit of a tie to our East Indian roots. 
Ah, oh, fantastic, fantastic. So in turn, and I like that you mentioned that because you mentioned that you haven't eaten any meat, your grandparents haven't. So, uh, so you're from a Hindu and a Jain background, is that right? Yeah, so our dad was actually raised Jain. And so he, our grandparents in India were strict believers of um, the Jainism lifestyle. And our mom was raised Hindu. And so obviously, there's like a lot of overlapping pieces in that. Um, and we're first generation born here in the States. So it was just, it's always that, ta- you know, that fine line between your East and Western roots. Um, we try to keep that balance, like in our Lovely. personal lives and, you know, with the company as well. That's fantastic. And you started the company up about three years ago. Is, is that right? Yeah, at the um, end of dis- or December 2013. Right, right. So tell us about some of the challenges that you faced when you first started up. Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's just, you know, we really, really had to teach ourselves everything because uh, Meg and I, we don't come from a fashion background. Um, I have a business background and Meg comes from a business and communications background. So it was really just like having to educate ourselves and you know, really learn the art of what goes behind constructing a garment, you know, from the fabrics to the stitches, to the packaging, to the aesthetics and logos. And it was just like a whole different learning process. And um, I think it was also, you know, the challenge was to learn the language and getting people to take you seriously. Because, you know, here we are, these young girls trying to inquire about minimums and tech packs and grading. And there was a lot of times when, um, you know, it's like people look at you and they're just like, okay, well, are you wasting our time or are you really, is this something for real or is this a side hobby? So, you know, we had the challenge with that as well. And um, sometimes when we would have meetings with these factories, when we were hunting for a factory, um, we literally had to write down in a notepad some of the terminology they were using because it was such a foreign language to us. So we would like have to write it down. And then later on that night, we would Google it. So we would understand like what exactly (laughs) that they were saying to us. I mean, that way you can show up next time that much more prepared, you know. Exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I love that you've done that. Like, you know, you've had, like you said, you had no background in this and yet you've managed to create a successful brand. I think that's actually really inspiring. Um, so I'm um, huge kudos to you for, for doing that. And like you say, being willing to put the work in and, you know, showing up and, and like you say, getting home and Googling it so that you're better prepared next time. That's fantastic. I mean, another key challenge I don't think we touched upon, though, was actually getting the fashion industry to be more accepting of clothing that doesn't, you know, utilize any animal derived textiles and just kind of like convincing them plus consumers that sustainable and cruelty free products can be synonymous with luxury as well, because there's just always this weird disconnect between those two terms. You're right. You're absolutely right. So how have you managed to to do that? Or is that an ongoing process that you're finding with the fashion industry? Um, Definitely something that we continue to face. (laughs) Um, And, you know, something that we have learned and continue to learn as you're going to handle that by consistently showing them because all of us can talk and that only does so much. But when you're showing people your products in person, when they're able to feel them, they can tell right away that 
this is something that's not cheap or low grade. It's just like the quality speaks for itself, you know, and this is goes down to the way the materials feel and look and the way it's sewn because we, you know, have a certain type of finishing. We only use French seams. We want to make sure that it's comparable to like these luxury high-end designers and the style because this isn't your typical, you know, hippie, dippy, granola, vegan line, <laughs> you know, I mean, so many people have these preconceived notions of what faux clothing looks like. And it's really important to get this in front of them so they can be blown away because it's just not what they were expecting. Absolutely. So when you say you're going to show the fashion, who are you talking to? Are you, are you talking about like buyers or retailers or what kind of people are you showing this to and blowing them away? Um, definitely those people, but then also just like a normal everyday average consumer, somebody that maybe, you know, is looking for something. I feel like a lot of times people don't even realize that this was what they were missing until they see it. Because, um, you know, a lot of it goes into continuing to create the awareness and educating people on the benefits of buying cruelty-free, which is obviously an ongoing battle, but it's about baby steps. So if they see it in person and you tell them, hey, you know, they gravitate towards it because they like the style or they like the way it looks, and then you tell them, hey, it also, you know, doesn't harm animals and you're saving the planet. You're lowering your carbon footprint by, you know, purchasing this product. It's just like these gifts with purchases. Got it, got it. So how are people able to try them in person? Because I believe you've got an online store at the moment. So where, where do people get to actually feel them and see them in person? So we do have um, a place in LA, in Venice, actually, that carries um, our stuff in their shop. And oh, then, cool. Yeah, so that's like, you know, a great place that they can stop by um, and see the stuff. And then there's different retailers that also carry us that sell online, but then they have, um, you know, showrooms or pop-ups where they are, you know, in store and you can go and see that stuff too. And then also if we're doing events or we're doing pop-ups, then that's when we really encourage people to come out and see stuff in person as well. Or we'll like schedule sometimes stuff for like by appointment. So if somebody like wants to, you know, come in and shop or look at the stuff, we'll schedule it like as, you know, if a stylist was to come in and like pull something for their client, it'd be the same thing. So if they just schedule something with us, we can arrange that. Oh, got it. So you've got the physical premises where people can come and do that. Cool. Okay. So you mentioned you were in some retailers. So do you use buyers to get in there or do you deal directly with the retailers? Um, it's both. We primarily focus on our own online boutique, but we are consistently getting inquiries about people that want to, you know, sell our products in their shop. Um, we just are very particular when it comes to that. We want to make sure that, you know, we're sitting with people that are the same type of aesthetic or the same quality, the same price points. There's so many other things that like play along with that because, you know, Sometimes if you're in a place that doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense to who's shopping there either. And that's not going to be beneficial for either party. 
For sure, for sure. Okay, that's cool. So you're predominantly focusing on your own online store so that you have that control and getting directly to customers. Exactly. Cool. So do you have any staff at all? Any employees? Yes, we do. I mean, we're still a very small, tight-knit company, so we're all still wearing a lot of different hats, but we do have a few interns, a pattern maker, a sample maker, um, a few sewers, and a cutter. Yeah, and we also like work with select few different photographers um, that will help with like campaign and web stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. Any tips on how you go about finding and keeping experienced and motivated staff? Well, it's lots and lots of digging and research, asking around. I mean, this industry is so competitive that people never want to give up who they work with. And that's completely understandable, you know. So when you find those gems you're kind of like guarding them with your life (laughs) Um, you know and for us it was just a very unique situation also because as I mentioned in terms of um, the sewing and the finishing everyone doesn't do that in the same way so if you want something to look a certain way you need to make sure that the people that you're going to be working with are capable of that you know and A lot of the factories in L.A. are very used to working with very casual or basic lines because, you know, we have a huge skate um, and surf culture here Um, and a lot of fast fashion. We're home to a lot of really big fast fashion retailers. Um, So the quality or skill set of what we were seeking wasn't as readily available. So it's just, you know, a lot of trial and error. And, you know, at the beginning, you're going to have to pay to sometimes see a few samples from different factories to make sure you know what you're getting into. Because a lot of times what you're envisioning, and even like Comey had mentioned earlier in terms of like the language, you know, the terminology, you may say one thing and they understand something else. And then they give you a sample and you're like, what were you sewing? That is not (laughs) what I asked for. Yeah. And regards to the motivating staff, I think, you know, we found it's, it's always great to constantly encourage them and to ask questions and show appreciation for their work Mm -hmm. because, you know, and, and even sometimes just asking for what their input is because they want you know, to make them feel like their input matters and they're actually like part of the team instead of them working for you. I think that's like a huge thing. Um, and even because, you know, sometimes they might have something to offer where you might be so blinded and not have even thought of that before. So I think it's really important for them to, the main thing is just make them feel like they're part of the team. And I think that that could really inspire somebody to keep them. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Really, really good advice. Communication lines are always open, right? So you have to be able to have that there. So everyone feels comfortable. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about competition. I, I put that in inverted quotes. I mean, and, and I hear what you're saying about these stereotypes we've got to overcome from vegan fashion, that it's either, you know, cheap plastic falls apart or we all walk around in sackcloths and you know, that kind of thing. But um, obviously now, you know, we are seeing a bit of a boom in uh, the vegan uh, business world um, and obviously with food and it's starting to happen as well with, I guess, with fashion. So how do you envision yourself standing out um, both within that kind of vegan business arena and that mainstream um, fashion area? Um, I, we really are 
big sticklers on branding and aesthetics. Like we just take so much care to make sure that anything that's even remotely related to the label stays true um, to the look and the tone that we've created for it, you know, whether it be like the colors, the fonts, the graphics, how do your social media posts sound? What are your newsletters sounding like? Um, You know, what are your care tags and all of our packaging? It's all very, very cohesive because that's, you know, the number one way for your customer to remember you. If you're all over the place, they can't even identify you with anything. That's a problem, you know? So overall, consistency is key and that way they're able to like attribute a certain style to you um we also know that like you have to know who you're actually talking to for us um it's really important to speak to that fashion girl kind of like the it girl if you will (laughs) um we want her to gravitate to the clothes because she's in love with the designs and the way it looks or feels and it's like once you hook her with that the other components of the company is, like I mentioned before, a wonderful gift with purchase. You know, oh, it's eco-friendly and it's saving animals. It's a double score. And I also think it, you know, it really starts with asking yourself what differentiates your product from what else is out there and what value do you provide? You know, the, the common question that I always love asking Meg and myself is, if we had a pile full of black t-shirts on the floor, how would ours stand out and why would somebody gravitate towards ours? Like why would somebody want to go pick our t-shirt up from the million other, you know, black t-shirts on the floor? And anytime we feel lost, I just re-ask ourselves that question. It really comes down to what, what differentiates your product and what value are you providing? Got it. Got it. No, that's really good advice. Really good advice. So in terms of, again, on competition versus collaboration, so a lot of marketing um, people say nowadays, you know, don't even think about competitors and instead embrace them as collaborators. And I know some of the vegan business owners I've spoke to said they, they really get that. But there are, I guess, some industries such as fashion, like you said, it's very, very competitive. So does that concept still work in the fashion industry? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that we do agree with that. Uh, We don't really like to think of anyone as a competition because at the end of the day, you know, we all have something to contribute to this world and we're all batting for for the same exact team and that's to end animal cruelty and have people be more mindful for our planet. That's like, you know, typically the overall goal, mission and purpose. So I just think it's like you just have to keep reminding yourself of that. And also everyone's journey is different. So you don't want to you know, everyone had a different starting point. So if you keep comparing yourself to other people, you're going to feel just disappointed. And you're going to, that's just going to distract you from seeing the bigger picture. I mean, we also like to believe the more the merrier, you know, so in terms of partnerships, if there is, you know, a fashion company that, you know, like us, and we can team up with, a, you know, a vegan food company or a vegan beverage company or a vegan makeup line or something like that to create like that much more of a cooler product and bring it out to the audience. Why not? For sure. No, that makes sense, actually, as well, particularly with complementary products such as, you know, makeup or shoes or something that 
you don't necessarily make yourself and you can kind of create that whole look and that can be really quite a nice collaboration which is fantastic Mm -hmm. now so you've been going about three years now and you've you've grown and you've got some mainstream media and it's been really exciting what has been some of the marketing strategies you've used to grow your brand um a really big one for us is continuously getting out there and connecting with people who are aligned with what we're doing or who might have the same beliefs or morals and especially across um relevant social media channels because we've found that it's so much easier to engage and interact with people that way because they're able to see and get a snapshot of who and what you're about, which kind of makes it easier to build because now you guys have this common ground. Got it. Got it. What kind of social, what, what are your most effective or most popular media, social media channels? I think for us, um, we really like Instagrams um, because since we are a fashion label, like most of our followers resonate well with like imagery. So we tend to focus on that. And then um, we also do Insta stories and Snapchat because, you know, we found that a lot of people like that and they find that very fun and it gives them a glimpse into like what's happening behind the scenes of the brand. So sometimes like they like to see that because it can't be, you know, very, it, it can't be like really gracefully captured in a photo. So sometimes they just want to feel like what's happening like real time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where great. We have I love our- that you're sharing your stories. That's, that's great. <laughs> Um, And I love that you really know your market because, you know, like you pointed out, Instagram and the Snapchat and the Insta stories, they're obviously like quite platforms that are very much embraced by millennials such as yourself. Um, And so I love that you've, you know, you really make use of those channels. You hang out where your market hangs out, which makes total sense. Because I think sometimes, you know, business owners, they're kind of like, oh, I've got to be on every single platform and it can be exhausting and overwhelming. But it's like, no, you know, focus on the ones where your clients are hanging out. So I love that you're a really good example of doing that. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so what about the use of the word vegan? Again, this is one I ask everybody. Um, you know, some people think, oh, it's a bit of a scary word. We shouldn't use it too much or maybe we should hide it. And others are like, no, we've got to broadcast it. So tell us a little bit about your choice of the use of the word vegan, how much you use it in your marketing and branding. Um, so like Comey mentioned, like Instagram's a huge one for us. That's where we have our largest following and the most eyes are on us there. Um, so when we're making posts or if we're doing um, Insta stories or Snapchats and we're writing descriptions, we really go back and forth between um, like a little set of words, which include vegan, cruelty-free, animal-friendly, and faux Um, eco-friendly, sustainable, just because we've discovered that if you're constantly only preaching vegan, vegan, vegan to people who may not um, embrace that lifestyle, it does cause some discomfort and can turn them off because, you know, our goal is not just to speak to the vegan community. Like, obviously, we love that community and we know that they're on board no matter what, but the bigger picture is to get people that may not automatically be on board, be on board as well. And so you have to kind of be mindful of the way you're speaking to those people. And so by changing it up and, you know, writing it in a way where it's not just like, you know, it's vegan, so it's cool and that's it. You're kind of just like showing them or like telling them this is something that exists and should you want to be a part of it, cool. But if not, this is, you know, it's still there. 
without like coming across as overbearing. Yeah. And, you know, just to add on to that, it's, um, we do, you know, the whole idea is we want to change the perception of how people view cruelty-free and vegan clothing. So sometimes it can work actually towards our advantage because, uh, let's say we put up a photo of like our leather skirt on Instagram and we hashtag it vegan. Now it's going to pop up in the vegan hashtag thread. And this is where people can, you know, I discover our line and you know this skirt's going to pop up so it's going to show people what vegan fashion can look like that it can actually be stylish and fun and it may change whatever preconceived notions they had before so people don't really know unless you show them and yes we do try to be delicate in the use of the word where it doesn't come off too preachy but we do try to incorporate it in like wherever we can yeah Got it. Got it. Very smart strategy. I like that. So you've and another way, obviously, to to raise your profile and your brand is to get celebrities on board. And I believe you've had Kendall Jenner uh, wearing your clothes. How did you get that to happen? Um, so connecting with stylists is really key um, because, you know, they're kind of like the middleman between you and any type of talent unless you have like, you know, your own pre-existing relationship with somebody. But if not, um, that's one place that we found it's really important to have like a great arsenal of stylists like in your back pocket. And it's just consistently being in communication with them, asking them what they're working on, who they might be dressing for, you know, any upcoming events. Like you have to be really on top of what's even happening. And like us being in LA means that, There are a gazillion different parties, premieres, press junkets, editorials, you know, so many things being shot here. And so a part of our job is to also be in the know about what all that is and then reach out to these stylists and, you know, talk to them about what they're working on. Are we a good fit? Can we do something? Um, You know, and a lot of times it's not just about who they're dressing for appearances or carpets and whatnot it could be that they're shooting you know a print editorial or like digital online content for some big fashion magazine or a big fashion platform Um, and that's just as important because it's awareness in all areas got it so I mean how do you I mean I imagine there must be such fierce competition for that they're like everyone must be doing like lots of fashion labels must be doing that so Mm -hmm. how do you do you have to send them items or send them samples in which case I can imagine that could be a little tricky if you're having to send out something and you don't know if they're definitely going to use it or is it more just building that relationship and then only sending a sample say when it's requested um it's Obviously, very important to build that relationship because this is a business, especially on that, about trust, because you need to trust that they're not going to just run away with it. And that happens, too. You know, <laughs> like we've seen it all. Um, but you kind of like start knowing who you have this like good rapport with that you've like built up. And then, you know, and you kind of already know who they work with or the kind of projects they work on. So you you know, use that when you're reaching out to them, like, hey, I heard you're doing this, or I think if you're going to be a part of this, I think we might be a good fit. And then we always invite them into the studio to come take a look at what we have anytime we have new products coming out, or we have like special pieces. We always invite them to come in and take a look and see if we'd be like a good fit for anything. It's just constantly staying on their radar more than anything. 
Yeah, I got it. Do you find more and more stylists nowadays are being a bit more open to kind of ethical, vegan, sustainable clothing? Um, yes, but even with them, it's still some, because, you know, if you're like taking a photo or you're, unless someone's like specifically that lifestyle and they're requesting it, it's still at the end of the day then is going off of how does it look on the person? What's the color? Is the style of the clothing fitting what they're working on? You know, but there are, we have gotten inquiries specifically because it was, um, you know, a client or an edit, a magazine or something requesting this type of stuff because they were running a story on, you know, something ethical or something cruelty-free or the person who was going to be dressed in it lives that lifestyle. So it's kind of a Got combination it. of both. Yeah, but I love what you're saying, though, it, it, and I think it's important for people to hear that, that it's it's all about the quality. The fact that it's vegan and it's ethical and it's sustainable is fantastic. And like you said, I love the phrase you used earlier, it's a, a gift with the purchase. Um, <laughs> but the key important thing is that it's got to stand up uh, as a fashion item in and of itself. And all those other things are fabulous extra bonuses. But exactly. the key important thing is it's, yeah, it's the quality and the look, etc. So that's great. Now, you've also had quite a bit of media coverage and, uh, you know, some mainstream media coverage as well. How did that come about? Did you pitch? Did journalists find you? Did you use a PR agency? Um, so we do have, um, you know, our in-house uh, interns and we do have some people that work on in-house PR. We don't currently have a PR agency or anything like that. We do everything within, um, you know, in-house and um, different things happen in different ways. Sometimes people will reach out because they've seen, you know, a coverage somewhere else and then that sparks an idea for them. So they'll want to do something. Um, we have people that are constantly researching new ideas and topics as well and feel that we might be a good fit and they'll try to figure out how we can make that happen. I wish there was like a magic formula because we actually get this question. We get asked this question a lot, um, <laughs> but uh, there's no like magic rule book. And that was something that Comey and I consistently would like hound other people for too. And we were like, no, but we just want to know, like, what do you do? <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it's not like that. It's literally just persistence and finding opportunities for yourself. And as you find those opportunities, other opportunities come as a result, I think. Absolutely. That's one of, because my background is journalism. That's one of the things that I teach is that once one media cover uh, outlet covers you, that can often have a snowball effect because like you say, other people see it and then they want to put their own spin and their own angle on it. And it was similar for this. You know, I saw you guys on, I think it was N NBSC, one of the mainstream media in the US. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to have them on the show and contact yeah. you and here you are. So that's a really perfect example of how that, that can happen, which is great. Um, so what kind of benefits have you received from both being in the media and having these high-profile celebrities wearing your clothes? How has that helped you as a brand? Um, I think it's just like for us, it was like a huge like awareness thing um, because sometimes it's hard to track, you know, how influential something really is if you have various things happening at the same exact time. Um, you know, it's like, okay, so for instance, like if we have an interview with a magazine or a celebrity wearing something of ours and we do a podcast all on the same day and it's all released on that same day, um, you're getting interest from various sources. So, 
You know, yeah, you can generate where certain traffic's coming from, but if you have like an, an initial final sale, sometimes it's really hard to gauge what, you know, made that sale happen, like what source drove that sale. Um, but, you know, it, it's also created opportunities, like Meg, Meg said. Um, you know, we've had different companies approach us wanting to collab or just, you know, various projects approach to us. So it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's just, it's like you had mentioned too, it's a snowball effect. It just makes other people like discover you and then other opportunities arise from that. I think a lot of times though, sometimes like, cause something that we are, I think we've talked about this already, but um, is con- trying to like convince the fashion industry, if you will. So that even goes like in terms of like, okay, what fashion publications are going to write about you or are they going to write about you? Is it a conflict of interest? Because maybe somebody that pays their ad dollars only utilizes fur and leather. So then, I mean, how does that look, you know? So um, I think a lot of times when you get certain people writing about you or profiling you or certain people wearing it, it kind of validates it in a different way. And then other people are like, oh, okay, well, they did it. So maybe now it's not so bad. I can come on board. And then that just starts another type of chain reaction. Exactly. Excellent. Oh, I love that. It's about that credibility, and like you say, it validates it and gives you that extra authority as well as, yeah, letting people know about what you do. Um, so what if I'm thinking, you know, as people are listening to this, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people, lots of young women who are listening and, and other people in general are going to be very inspired by listening to you guys because, you know, you're, you're two young women and you didn't know anything about fashion and you, you just you launched this amazing brand that keeps on growing. So tell us if they're in that situation, they've got it their day job and they think oh, I'd really love to start you know my own business you know particularly maybe in the fashion area what what do they need to take into account what tips and advice would you offer them I mean the three things that we tell ourselves every day it's like a mantra that we repeat in the morning with our like matcha and coffee is <laughs> today we're gonna have patience persistence and faith no matter what <laughs> yeah it's a lot of hard work. Um, you know, you can't expect to succeed overnight. It's it's literally not going to happen. And it is going to be a roller coaster ride. You're going to have your high days and your low days. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, it, the rewards will be worth it. And, you know, just don't be fearful. There's never, ever going to be the perfect time to start your business. You literally just have to run with it and trust the process. And, um, I think another important thing is that you just, you can't get caught up in having to be the best at everything. I think that can like really become a disease for people because Mm -hmm. it's like, you just want to be the best at everything. And yes, of course, learn everything, but don't feel discouraged if you aren't good at something or you don't enjoy doing that aspect of the business, you know, because at some point you got to get somebody who is better than you to do it. You know, um, even when you look at like Meg and I, it's like, I know my flaws and fortunately those aren't Meg's, but you know, it's like, we're just a good balance and that's what just makes the team stronger. So that just won't stop you, you know, from moving forward. Yeah. And always thinking that you have to do everything. Like Comey mentioned, it's about like also like finding the missing puzzle pieces to your team, you know, that's going to ultimately create the ultimate full puzzle you know when you're um i got it yeah 
And just on that, then you've mentioned like you work together as a team. And what I'm finding, even from interviewing you, you you seem to kind of be so comfortable with each other. Like you're not jumping in to like interrupt one another. You you just really kind of flowing. So have you got any tips? Because obviously you're a family member. You know your sisters. Um, are there any kind of challenges with working with family, or or what kind of off, uh, tips can you offer on working well with your family member? <laughs> <laughs> um, well. So Comey and I, I, I'm, well, I, we know that it's a very <laughs> unique situation just because uh, not only do we work together, we live together. And as a result, um, a lot of oh. our friend circles have become one big blurb of happy family, you know. So now we have like the f- same friend circle and we obviously go to a lot of events together. And so everything just overlaps. And um, I think sometimes when like things get really hectic or tough and you just need a break, you don't have that, but then it forces you to calm down and figure out that much quicker because no one's going away. Like we're sisters, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You guys, you can't even break up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think it's a lot of self-discipline there and it, it forces you to like get creative and solutions and whatnot. And at the very you know, if if anything, we can always call mom or dad and be like, oh, I need a vent, you know, and this is what it is. <laughs> Our parents are really <laughs> great at that, too. Ah, that's wonderful. And were, were you, before you opened um, Delicate Rain, were you working in the family business? Like, can you just say a little bit about what you were doing before you um, opened the business? So I was actually working for um, an online indie designer. So at that time, um, I saw like how the advantage of like having a business online could work for you. Um, obviously, like things are a lot more advanced now, but I just saw that it was like a very strong platform, and I saw that there was like a whole world where you could really target and market to. Um, but you know, to be quite honest, it's like in terms of our own business, we literally had to teach ourselves a whole lot. Yeah. Um, you don't really realize how involved you have to be until until you actually like have to put yourself out there. I mean, we were determined. We, you know, we took sewing classes and Photoshop classes in between designing and hunting for pattern makers in a factory. And we taught ourselves how to code a little bit for our website. And it was just, it's just like an ongoing learning process that is continuous and you just, it just never stops. You feel like you've mastered one area and then it's like a whole like list of other stuff comes towards you and you just have to just continue to learn. Um, Yeah. And I mean, a determination I think also comes from like wanting to prove to our parents that this wasn't a side hobby either. You know, this is something that we were really passionate about that we really wanted to pursue because, you know, just telling your parents, Hey, by the way, like we're not going to do anything that has to do with, our degree per se, we're going to just like go open this business. We have no context in this industry. We know nothing about it, but it sounds like a great (laughs) idea. So we're going to do it. It's like shell shock for everyone, you know? (laughs) Um, And that's just like, what? These are like my, the black sheep now. My children have become the black sheep (laughs) of the Indian community. So (laughs) funny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, well I hope they pl- they must be pleased with you now though. They must be very impressed with you now, I should imagine. Yes, I mean, they're obviously <laughs> very supportive, but um it's still like constantly having to prove yourself because 
the end of the day, they're still Indian parents. It's like, oh, you guys got an A? Why not an A plus? You know? So. Oh, that's funny. Um, So what have been the key lessons you've learned? We're just wrapping up now. What have been the key lessons you've learned through running your business? Um, That's a good question. Uh, I mean, like we mentioned before, it's just constantly educating yourself. Um, Being, you know, I think flexibility is crucial along with the absence of ego. Um, You really have to be willing to identify and admit when you're wrong and adjust accordingly to that. Um, And just having the right motivation, you know, um, remind yourself like why you're really doing this. And is this another business to help animal cruelty or look at what your purpose is and don't get caught up with numbers because sometimes your message is more impactful in the long run than like the numbers that you're trying to generate. You know, I think the sales will come if you just are staying really authentic to what you're pushing out there. Yeah, I mean, to kind of piggyback off of that, it's just like keeping that open mind and remembering um, that what you're doing, like what we're doing doesn't have this tried and true blueprint. We're essentially just creating our own. Um, And whenever you're like leading a movement or you're one of the original pioneers of something, it's going to be extra hard because you don't have anything to compare it to. You don't have anything to kind of gauge it with. And you know, so you're always having to expect the unexpected and that forces you to quick, you know, to think quickly on your feet, to come up with solutions, um, you know, just fast. Um, a lot of people we've learned don't keep their word and they don't stay true to what they have said they're going to do. And you have to learn not to take that personally and to just move past that because, if you get stuck in that, it's just so negative and toxic, and that just ends up hindering forward momentum. You just have to say, you know what, that it is what it is, and that's it. We're done, and move, move on. Um, so just final question then. What in, what's your long-term vision for Delicate Rain and for yourselves? Well, Our ultimate long-term vision goal for Delicate Rain would be to turn it into an all-encompassing lifestyle brand. Um, We want to make sure that we are able to hit all the different components of how one can truly live cruelty-free while staying true to that luxe appeal, which would be... um, you know, interior design, beauty, accessories, shoes, just all the works. One huge lifestyle situation. Yeah. And I think also, like, at the end of the day, we just hope to leave, you know, a lasting legacy that has contributed to no more animals being harmed and also inspiring and installing confidence in others to create something that they're equally as passionate about. Right, that's lovely, and I love what as well. And I think I, I think I saw in one of your other interviews, it's something about, and you touched on it earlier today about making particularly young women feel good about themselves, which a lot of fashion and beauty industry doesn't tend to do. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's really important to um, let women feel confident and beautiful in whatever they choose to do, and no matter what their passion is. I think a lot of people are told what they need to do. And that's the only way that society is going to 
accept them. They feel like they have to follow this like path. Um, you know, that's a huge component of our culture. And it's just kind of like, well, you know what, everyone maybe doesn't have the same path to follow. Like we, you can veer from it and it's still going to be okay. Wonderful. I love that. You, you've been such an inspiring um, couple to interview. Uh, it's been absolutely fabulous. I love what you're doing. And, you know, your long term vision sounds amazing. And I, I can feel you've got that determination. So I'm going to look with with excitement to, to watching you grow. Thank you both so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we really enjoyed speaking with you. So that was Meg and Comey Vora from Delicate Rain. You can find out more at delicaterain.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 48. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Iconic US vegan meat company Tofurky is planning to launch a range of sandwiches in the UK, reports Veg News. The company has teamed up with Greek vegan cheese brand Violife to offer a range of alternative meat and cheese packaged sandwiches after founder Seth Tibbet saw an opening in the grab-and-go market. Tofurky is working with a British wholesaler and product developers to bring the sandwich range into retailers and is currently conducting a customer survey to determine the most popular flavours from choices including tempe bacon lettuce and tomato, buffalo Tofurky chicken baguette and Tofurky ham cheese lettuce and tomato. So this is great. Whenever I go back to the UK, I stay with a close friend who lives a short bus ride away from Miss Cupcake Bakery and they often sell sandwiches and I buy them as they're an easy way to take my lunch with me when I'm going around town. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting Tofurky sandwiches. And I don't know if this is a quirk that I've got or whether you feel the same, but I find that sandwiches that are prepared by other people taste better than if I make them myself. <laughs> now, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit weird like that, but that's just how it is. Anyway, this is really good news. It's about time that vegan sandwiches were readily available in supermarkets and great to see Tofurky kicking off this trend. A Mexican restaurant in Dallas, Texas, has removed all animal products from its dishes after the owner had a health scare, reports Dallas News. Husband and wife team Aurelio and Lily Arias have veganized the menu at El Palote after learning about the detrimental aspects of animal products on human health. Aurelio had suffered from high cholesterol and blood pressure for several years and the medications he was on made him worse. Now, after removing animals from his diet, he felt much better. So he and Lily decided to share the positive benefits with their customers. Now, as is typical, when any non-vegan eatery switches to an all-plant-based menu, some customers are annoyed while others are open to it and additional customers come on board. So let's hope that this almost one-year-old restaurant stays busy. So if you live in Dallas or you're visiting, make sure you go to El Palote to support them. A medical doctor is set to open a plant-based restaurant in St Paul, Minneapolis in January 2017, reports The Line. Jay Selby is the brainchild of Matt Clayton, a practising general surgeon of 18 years. 
He quit his job to pursue new interests with nothing particular in mind. After returning from Phoenix, Arizona, where he ran a marathon, he was inspired by the many vegan restaurants in the area. So he decided to bring plant-based cuisine to the Twin Cities. Chef Rick Badal will develop Jay Selby's menu, which will include appetizers such as chili cheese fries, quesadillas, nachos and buffalo cauliflower. The fast casual eatery will also carry a range of sandwiches, including a club sandwich, buffalo soy curls and barbecue beef. The restaurant will also use some vegan meat products from local company The Herbivorous Butcher. How cool is this? I love it when medical professionals become entrepreneurs and open these sorts of eateries. It lends credibility on the health front when this happens and it validates plant-based eating. Fantastic. The global packaged vegan foods market is predicted to grow at a compound annual growth rate of nearly 11% between now and 2020, according to a report by research and advisory company Technavio. Manjanath Reddy, a lead analyst at Technavio for Food Research, said, A new wave of consumers, especially millennials aged between 20 and 34 years, prefer vegan foods owing to their concern toward animal welfare and environment-friendly food products. During the last 10 years, the number of vegans in the UK rose by more than 360%. The UK accounts for roughly 20% market share of all vegan food and drink products that were launched in Europe in 2015. So more good news, and it comes at a time when this week stocks in meat company Tyson Foods plummeted by 15%. It's a good job that they've invested in a vegan meat firm Beyond Meat. You remember I reported on that in a previous episode. And it looks as if Tyson would be wise to invest in more vegan companies and actually switch their own operations to focus solely on plant-based meats. Finally, more excellent forecasts. Market analysts predict the second top food trend in 2017 to be what they dub the disruptive green category, which includes vegan and vegetable-based products, reports Food Dive. The clean label category was named the top trend, reflecting consumers' desire for GMO-free and other health-conscious claims. Analysts from Innova Market Insights in 80 worldwide markets searched Innova's database for common terms for products and companies that launched in 2016 and made their predictions after analysing current trends and movements. They forecast that consumer interest in plant-based milks and vegetable-based meat alternatives will continue to grow in the new year as a result of increased nutritional awareness. Researchers also found a 63% compound annual growth rate for new product launches with plant-based claims from 2011 to 2015. This really is heartening news. It looks as if 2017 is set to be another year where the plant-based food sector continues to grow and off the back of that, vegan living continues to be embraced. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. 
Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. Thank you.